Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. Subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify to get notified when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas and visit our website, PraiseChapelLasVegas.com, to find out more about us and give online. Thanks again for joining and enjoy today's message. Running on empty. Running on empty. So I don't, I don't have notes. I, w- I really want to uh, let the Holy Spirit help me, amen, to help you. And so I'm just going to talk to you this morning. I'm going to bring up things and I call it putting it in your pocket. Just everything I say, take it, put it in your pocket, deposit it. And what I believe is that for every individual, God's going to take all those different pieces like a puzzle in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. And he's going to put it together the way that you need to hear it. So that at the end of this message, amen, you'll, you'll get the oil that you need. Amen. So I'm just going to let my hair down. Is that all right? Is that, uh, I'm going to let my hair down. Uh, real quick, I just want to say thank you, Pastor Art and, and Maria. You guys are amazing. And um, he's right. When you know we were on the worship team together, the only thing is I, w- I got kicked out of the worship team several times. And he never did. He was the teacher's pet. But if, if that doesn't get you, my wife was the worship leader, so my wife was the one kicking me out of the worship team. But then she accepted me into her life, and we got married. Amen. Uh, we were on the worship team together. Um, but I want to tell you this. You know, I, Pastor Art is used by the Lord. Amen. Uh, when he was leaving, and I just really got to know him at that point. And so, you know, because I was sometimes not in the worship team, right? But I got to get to know him, and right before he left, I just went up. I think I just somewhere at a, probably the conference room, but I hugged him. I said, man, you know, I, I just getting to know you. Now you're leaving me. You know, you're going out to pastor, and he pointed at me, and he said, well, you're next. And I wouldn't even get up and sing. You know, I was, like, hiding in the back of the worship team. And so when he said that, I was like, man, you're crazy. You know, I'm not next. But then I was next, right? They sent me out next. So God knows God knows what he's doing. Praise the Lord. But I thank God for your ministry and your pastors and all that they've spoken into our lives. And so uh, how good is it that we get to come and and pour back into you. Amen. Uh, I'm going to pray. If you want to turn there, we're not going to go there yet, but I'm going to put some things in your pocket. Here's what's interesting. So I, I think I preached here eight or nine years ago, and I didn't. I don't remember what I spoke. It's so long ago. We were at lunch yesterday, and Pastor Maria, she's like, hey, she's like, I remember what you spoke last time that you guys were here. I said, oh, really? And she told me, and I started, I was tripping out because I'm literally going to speak on the passage right before that passage. It's the literal passage right before that, uh, what I was here last time. So 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, you could turn there and then just hold on to that, and uh, we're going to pray and let God start to move. Amen? Father, we just, we thank you, God, and I I ask you, Lord, that, that you would cancel me, God. Just cancel me as the speaker, and I pray that uh, through the Holy Spirit, God, that you would uh, begin to hover over the waters of this congregation, Lord. Just as in the beginning when, when there was chaos, it says in Genesis that there was a void. But if you look, if you really look that up, it, it means there was, there was some form of a dark chaos. But it says that the, the Spirit of God was hovering over that chaos 
And I pray, Lord, that, that the Holy Spirit would hover over this congregation this morning, that you would hover over that. And, Lord, you're going to take all those strings, all those strings, and you're going to re resow them into the right places. And there's going to be a miracle for so many people this morning, God. You're going to pour out your spirit. You're going to fill us again. You're going to bring back into order those deep things, those deep things of chaos, God, and you're going to heal it. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you help us. We, we bind distraction. We bind, bind principalities. And, Lord, we ask that you and you alone, you have the floor. You have dominion. These are your people. This is your church. This is, this is your word. And so, God, we, we ask you now, Lord, to move and to help us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me open this real quick. Told you, I'm not used to mics. I want to just begin to talk to you. There was uh, this lady. I watched a documentary. And in this documentary, there's this lady who her son-in-law had killed her daughter. He kills her daughter. And through this entire process, the mother-in-law, believe it or not, you would think it would be different. But the mother-in-law is completely on the side of her son-in-law. She has never seen the evidence. She had refused to see the evidence. And so for five years, as they're building this case and arresting him, you know, going through all this stuff before they hit trial, it took about five years. Through that whole entire time, she's having her son-in-law come over, you know, watch, play with kids and just always be there. And the media is meeting with her a lot, and they're interviewing her, and they're asking her, you're crazy. You know, how, how can you possibly be okay with this. And she's like, he didn't do it. And, you know, they're telling her, what about the evidence? And she said, I don't even need to see it. He told me that he didn't do it. I'm good. Well, five years later, right, they end up arrest, they and not just arresting him, but they end up finding him guilty, guilty of murder. And so they meet with her again and they say, well, hey, you know, now a court system says that he's definitely guilty. I'm watching the. I'm watching all this, right? So I know all the information. I'm like, he, this dude is guilty, right? There's, there's no question he's guilty. It's not. There's no reasonable doubt. He's he's guilty, and so they're telling her this, and she's just like, nope, nope, nope. And so they tell her, I said, well, would you at least be willing to look at the evidence? Now that he's been convicted, would you just look at it? And she says, well, I'll look at it, but it's not going to change my mind. So they bring out the folders, and she starts going through it, and. Some, at some point in reading all the evidence, she starts to cry and shake. And they tell her, well, what's going on? What do you believe now? And she starts to cry and she says, he killed my daughter. I can't believe it. He killed my daughter. Why would I start off with that? Because a lot of times we only see what we want to see. This, this woman, obviously, she wanted to see what she wanted to see because there's probably something in there that she wanted to protect her mind. A lot of times in our lives, there's, there's things that we re will refuse to see because if we look, then we're going to have to deal with the deepness of that thing, the, that hurtful thing, that thing that we don't want to talk about, the thing that we don't want to know about. And not just to protect our minds, but 
we actually don't see all of reality. If you get into physics, it's, it'll kind of blow your mind if you get into physics because you find out that the human eye, we only see 0.0035% of light. Everything we're looking at, though, if you know physics, is made out of light. Believe it or not, your chair is literally vibration and light or sound and light, which is very interesting because Jesus is the word and he's the light of the world. And Hebrews says that out of Christ, everything is made and nothing was made that was made that wasn't made by Christ, through Christ, for Christ. It's all made by him. And so everything is light and sound, but we don't see all of creation. We, we can't see it. We don't we don't register it with the human eye. What's interesting about that is that means there's a, there's a massive amount of reality out there right now that we don't see because we literally can't physically see it. We can't register it. We don't know it's there. That's the spiritual world, obviously, right? That's why the prophet Elijah, he, he prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened, right? Remember, there's that time when he's the prophet, he's with his servant, and they're surrounded by an army. And so his servant is seeing that 0.0035% of reality. But the prophet is seeing all of it. And so he prays, says, God, open his eyes that he might see. And when he could see, he looked out the window. And when he saw the rest of reality, the spiritual realm, it says that his eyes were opened. And he saw that that physical army was surrounded by God's army. And suddenly his confidence was built up. And I'll begin to think, man, you know, why wouldn't God just let us see? Why doesn't God just let us see everything? It's probably to protect us. It's probably because if we really saw it, we, right, we would be running somewhere. We'd be freaking out right now. And so he does it to protect us, but we're not so different than that. We're, we're actually not so different than God because we don't allow people to see everything. That's not always because, I'm not here to talk about from the angle that that's because we're, e we're evil. I'm not here to talk about we're trying to be deceitful. I'm not going in that direction. There's a lot of things in our lives that we don't want people to see because we don't want to have to deal with it. We don't want to allow that deepness to come in. And so what we do is we create a 0.0035% reality that we portray to people. Think about Instagram. Instagram is 0.0035% of someone's life. But you will look at it and you will think immediately their life is better than mine. Can I tell you, I've been a pastor for 15 years. Pastor Art's about 22 years. Can we just tell you that people's Instagram accounts don't usually match the inside of their life that we get to know about? I'm saying that to encourage you. <laughs> That you're not the only one going through it. You're not the only one that might be running on empty this morning. You're not the only one that's not out there having all kinds of fun and living the dream. Many of us are going through some stuff. Some of us, you know, the title of my message is, some of us are running on empty this morning. Some of us, we don't have much left. We're holding on. And, and if we would allow people to see the inside, or let's say the flip side of your Instagram account, you just might find out that some people are hurting, some people are broken, some people have some issues, some people have church hurt. 
Some people, have, that's, that's real. Some people have been to churches, they've been hurt, they've, they've had that oil that, of joy that God gave them in their salvation, that it's been dried up, it's been used up. We have people in ministry, right? We're, we're, we pour out our lives. And sometimes we, we pour out our lives into vessels and those vessels leave us. And we have to deal with that hurt. That's the, I could tell you that's, that's not a good hurt. That, that hurts. It hurts. And these things hurt us. Life is challenging. Is, is it only my life or have you ever noticed life is challenging? And, and when things go wrong, more things go wrong. You ever notice that? It's, we say it's one thing after another. And all these things begin to stress us out. I brought, I brought something to help me this morning, and we'll talk about it now in, in the end of the sermon. But I brought this. This is, a, this is a cross stitch. Anybody familiar with a cross stitch? I did not do this. I'm going to leave that right there. Here's, here's what I love about cross stitch. You can put that picture up for me. Here's the thing about cross stitch. When I think about Christianity, this is what we do. Cross stitches, we could call death by a thousand cuts. Because you take a little needle on a string and you, you're going to poke that canvas a thousand times. But as Christians, what are we doing? We're taking the word as that string and we, we begin to let it penetrate us. This is why when Peter, right on the day of Pentecost, he ministered, and it says that the people were what? It says they were pricked or cut in their heart. What must we do now? Peter says, well, we got to change. He starts ministering to them. And so this beautiful picture begins to form as we take the cross and we allow it to stab us over and over again through discipleship. Anybody ever read a scripture and you didn't like it? We might not like it, but we, we submit to it to say, but I want to look like Christ. And it begins to change us. And on the outside, the beautiful thing, right? We come here today, and, th and this is what we see. Essentially, in all these chairs, that's all I see. I not because anybody's being deceitful, but because that is what we see, and that is what we portray. And, and if I was to put this in my house... I'm not going to hang it backward. I'm going to hang it so that is what is displayed. But the reality is on the back of every cross stitch is that mess. That's what they look like on the other side. It looks like chaos. And the reality is, is that for a lot of us, even though we're Christians, see, sometimes we think the only lost and broken people are people that are not Christians. I can tell you from ministering for an amount of years that some of the most broken people are Christians. Because we get hurt. And we come to these places where we, we start to think, but God, I'm doing everything right. I mean, look at me, Lord. I'm, I'm submitting. I'm, I'm working at it. I'm even serving. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm supporting my pastors. You know, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. And yet the reality is we still go home and we have to deal with that. We have to deal with some hard things, some hurts and things that we don't really want people to see. But it's not because we're bad people. You know, I know this is true. We don't want people to see stuff. I mean, think about it. If I was to just show up at your house tomorrow in the middle of the day and knock on the door, you probably wouldn't come and just open the door and let me in. If you have kids, 
get your toys, get that, pick up that bottle, shut the door to your room, go clean the bathroom. Come on, somebody. You're threatening your kids. You, you say, I'll cut you, right? I'll cut you. Get your stuff out. Isn't that what we do? And we run around the house, and we're like sweating. We're as fast as we can. We're cleaning the house. Your husband's in the back mopping, right? But then we go open the door. I'm sorry it took so long. We were praying. You know, as a family, what time is it? Oh, it's our family prayer time. Sorry about that. We don't want people to see. We don't want people to know our junk. But, you know, if we would allow some, some people to see it, we just might get some help. We just might not be running on empty. We might find ourselves with a newness of life. But it's difficult. You know, I, I like to watch boxing. And in boxing, they have the towel. You guys know what the towel is? This towel represents whether or not I'm going to throw the fight. If I'm a coach and I'm watching one of my boxers and he's not doing well and it looks like not only is he going to lose, but he's probably going to get very injured, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw the towel in because I want to spare him or I want to save him. And as soon as that towel hits the floor, what happens? The fight is over. And what happens? A referee runs into the ring, right? Stop. Stop. And he forces him back and runs him to their corner. But here's the reality, even for Christians, is many times you and I are doing everything that we can. We feel like we've surrendered everything to the Lord. But we wake up on a Monday morning, and really all we want to do is throw in the towel. We just want to say, man, I, I don't have anything left. But what we also understand is even if we did that, there's no referee coming to stop the fight. Because spiritual warfare never stops. You can't stop it. You're not going to pray a prayer and say, God, just make it stop. And God is going to say, okay, you know, and just make your life perfect. You know how I know that prayer doesn't work? Because I've prayed it a thousand times. Just take it away. Paul used to pray that. Just take it away away and God said what no my grace is sufficient for you I might not stop the fight but don't think for a moment I'm not in your corner don't think for a moment that I'm not the one giving you the strength to get through this so if we go to our story in second kings and even the slow people should have found it by now <laughs> I gave you plenty of time You know what I love about this story? This is what I love about this story. This, this is a woman in distress. Everything that I just said that we put in your pocket, I want you to understand that that is this woman. This woman is throwing in the towel. This woman is distressed. She's empty, and she's, she's completely broken. But why I like this is because they're a ministry family. If you read it, right off the bat, it says, she says to the prophet, you know my husband, your servant. 
and you know that he fears the Lord. And if you do some background, that's what you find out. This man was a prophet. This is a ministry family. So we'll put it like this this morning. This is a pastor's family. How's that? Because I want to show you that you're never going to get to a place where this isn't where you might be. You're not, there's not some level. You know, Pastor Art and I, we don't, we don't just wake up every morning. Like we don't get in the shower and float on top of the water, right? We don't wake up with halos over. No, we, ha- we go through the same things, amen? And that's why I love this is because no matter who you are in the kingdom of God, the reality is is that we come to times where we feel empty. We come to times where life and troubles and worries and fears and doubts and hurts and all those things come in. And we can feel like failures no matter who we are. And so here's this woman and she comes out. If we start to read it, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant My husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. That word cried is the word sa'ak. It's T-S-A-W-A-K, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce it right, probably, but it's sa'ak. And when you look it up, this is a distressful cry. This woman is, is crying one of those cries of desperation where it's literally like sa'ak and a towel comes out of her mouth. That, that's, that's the connotation to the word. That th- This isn't even just a cry, that, you know, a, a cry for help. This is, this, is, this is my last cry. And she throws in the towel with her words. To, Prophet, do you see my loss? And see, like, there might be people here this morning, maybe you never lost, maybe you haven't lost a, a husband, right? Maybe her loss is not your loss, but the reality is everybody in here has a loss, Everybody in here has lost something. We've lost people. COVID, we've lost people. We know what that feels like. It's horrible. Unexpected death is horrible. And that's, you know what I find? A lot of people will leave the faith when someone dies. It's too much for their faith. And a lot of it is because we say, but I don't understand, God. We prayed. You know, we prayed, we believed, we're serving you, and, and you weren't there. When, when, we, when we threw in the towel on that last prayer, no referee came, and you didn't come in, and you didn't stop the fight. And we have that loss, and it, it eats us up inside, and we, we still come, and we, we still put on this persona that, that I'm okay, I'm good. What do we say when we walk into a church building? How you doing, brother? I'm blessed. Inside, you're going, I just want to end it all, right? You're like, it's over for me. And, and we don't say that. And a lot of that is the church's fault, right? Because the Word of Faith movement says, oh, don't give a negative confession. Let me tell you something, man. We shouldn't walk around and constantly complain. Of course we shouldn't do that. But should we tell the truth? Yes, and sometimes... When a brother says, how are you doing? Maybe you need to say, man, you know what? I want to tell you that I'm blessed because I know ultimately I am blessed. But in this current moment, brother, I'm going through it. I, I, I feel empty, man. I don't have anything left. I, I feel broken. I'm hurt. I'm tired. 
this thing, I can't get this out of my mind. I'm having this circular argument in my head. I don't know what to do about it. I'm trying, I'm pushing, but bro, can, you just, can, can I just be honest with you, man? I'm hurting. We're going to pray with each other. And here's the thing is it's not only these, these deep losses like this, but notice then what she says. She says, but the creditor has come. I think we can all identify with that one. <laughs> the creditor has come. It's first, it's look, I've got this big family loss, but but then it also moves into and not and on top of that, the bill collectors are here. I know Pastor Arts felt this one, right? And I thank God that 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 we have a wonderful God. And he will come through for us as a church financially. But he does it at 1159. He does it right when the red notice is being put in the mail, right? That red piece of paper or that, that eviction notice, they, they put the stamp on God's waiting, right? And we're like, what is, what? He's like, no, I'm going to wait. And as soon as they put the stamp and mail it, then he's like, all right, now check it out. Like, why would God do that? Because then we have to depend on him. You know, when Lazarus died, I love it. When Lazarus died, they tell Jesus the day he dies. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't go raise him from the dead. He waits. He waits till the fourth day. Well, why would he do that? If you know their culture, if you study the culture, what they believed was they believed that if someone died, their spirit hovers around them in Jewish culture for around three days. And so what they believed was if, if that person he was raised from the dead, it's possible that he wasn't really dead. So what Jesus does is Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go now because if I go now, it's possible some man might get the credit. But if I wait until it's impossible and it has to be God, everyone there will have to speak it. This was a move of God. This is a move of the Lord. Only God could do that. Why does God let us be empty? Because he's not going to share his glory with anyone. He will let us get to a place where we're like that towel on the floor. and We're thinking, I, I don't know. Why have you forsaken me? And God comes in at 1159. See, I, I believe this could be an 1159 moment for someone. Amen. And God comes in. He says, look, I, I let you get there. But here's the reality. At the end of your nothing is everything. Because at the end of your nothing, just like in the beginning of time when there was nothing, and it says that my spirit was hovering over the face of that chaos, don't think for a moment that when you hit your nothing, that my spirit isn't also hovering over your chaos and over your nothing, because it's in the nothingness that I begin to speak. It's in the, it's in the emptiness that I begin to pour my oil. It's in that place of brokenness that, that I want to bring a healing, because when you you stand up in victory and rejoice. I want you to have to declare and cry out, not Sa'ak that I'm hurting, but I want you to get up and cry out, only my God, my Savior, only Him, only Jehovah, only Yeshua HaMashiach, only my God, only my Savior, only the Lamb of God. He is the only one that could possibly do this because I sure couldn't do it. I was on the floor. 
I had called it quits. I was empty. And then here came some anointing. <laughs> and God comes in at a 11.59. And not only this, we have this, this money issue, right? But here it says this. That now she's going to lose her kids. I don't know about you. I'm a father. I mean, I love my kids. And when things get heavy for us, that's one of our thoughts is now this is going to become heavy for my children. You know, being pastors can be that way. It affects our kids. You see, these creditors in their culture, they're going to take her kids. They're going to work off the debt. They're going to come back. But it wouldn't matter to me that don't worry, your kids are coming back, right? I mean, that's a heavy, heavy thing that, that we don't want it to affect our children. But, but the reality is even ministry affects our kids. It, can be, it becomes just as heavy to them. I remember me, me and Jack, you know, my son Jack, he's my ride or die. He's the one who goes with me when I preach. If he can, he w was working with me in my company when I owned a, a bodybuilding company. You know, he, he was always with me. He goes to all my men's meetings. He's, he's on top of me. And this guy in our gym that had come and gotten saved, he got kicked drugs, kicked meth, got restored. About a year later, he's looking good. He's looking sharp. He's got a job. He's got a car. But he wants his, his wife back. and His wife won't receive him back. And so finally one day he comes up to me and Jack in the gym and he says, you know what? God's not, God's not going to do what I want. And I said, well, yeah, he, some, he usually doesn't. <laughs> I always tell people, you know how I know God's talking to me? Because I don't agree with him. See, he seldom, right? And I tell him that, and he says, well, then I'm out. I'm just, he wasn't having an attitude or anything. He's just like, I love you, but I'm, I'm, done with, I'm done with this stuff. It's not real. And when he walked away, my son began to cry. And he said, Dad, I don't understand. Why do people leave us? And why do people leave the Lord? I don't understand. You know, I'm driving home thinking, that's my heaviness. This, this, is, this is my heaviness. This, this should, I, don't want, I don't want this to affect my kids. And that was really the, one of the first times. And I'm a pastor's kid, but I, I realized, wow, I, I've really tried to protect my kids. I've, I saw how you know, my parents didn't understand, and they let some things affect us. And I said, here I've been good. I've been like this woman. I've, uh, her husband, I feared the Lord. I've been a good servant. I, I mean, gosh, Lord, I thought I was doing everything right. And here it is. I'm driving home, and my son is hurt. And that's heavy. And some of the... Issues we're having in life, even you this morning might recognize that. Yeah, it's hurting my kids. And so here's what's powerful. Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. Now, I want to stop there because this is a prophet. I don't believe that the prophet didn't know what was in her house. Let me give you an example of how God does this. When Adam fell and Adam sinned, God went to Adam and he said, what? Where are you? Do you really think that God didn't know where Adam was? Of course he knew where Adam was, but Adam didn't know where he was. 
You see, sometimes what God will do is he'll bring us to this place because the only way we're going to get to our restoration is when we are able to confess with our own mouth where we have been, where we are, where we are hurting, what's going wrong. And God needed Adam to say, because look what Adam said. Adam had to confess, I have sinned and I am covering it up. Sometimes God will come into our lives, not, not about sin. He'll come into our lives like this prophet. And when we're saying, I have nothing left, I'm throwing in the towel. I thought I was doing everything right. This heaviness, this emptiness, I, I don't know what to do. And, and Lord, you know, I, I'm done. And God will come in and he'll say, yeah, but, but what's in your house? What's in the house? Because the prophet knew what was in her house. What's in your house? And I love this because she immediately responds and says what? She says, nothing. That's the nothing monster. None of us want to be nothing. None of us want to have nothing. You know, there's a, a, a children's movie that I liked when I was a kid. Maybe you've seen it. It's called The NeverEnding Story. Anybody ever seen that? A Trey You. Right? I, I love that, that movie, Falcor, The White Dragon. I love that, that show, but you know what you find out in the end of that movie is the nemesis, the enemy, the monster at the end of the movie is nothing. How's that? It's just nothing. They say, it's the nothing. <laughs> but what happens in that movie is Nothing is coming and it's eating up and it, it's preying on hopes and dreams and faith and belief. And believe me that what happens is sometimes the enemy comes in and there's really nothing there. Here's a reality. A monster does, you know, our kids are afraid of monsters. But monsters aren't real. It doesn't matter because the effect of that monster still plagues our kids. So when my daughter comes to me and my daughter used to say, there's a monster in the closet, I didn't say, no, there's not. No, I know there isn't, but I know that she's being affected. And so that becomes what matters to me. See, sometimes people will come to us with issues and hurts, and because they're not our issues and our hurts, we just discard that, ah, just get over it. You can't get over a monster that's real to you. When it's real to your kid, you know what I do? I would go in there, man, and I would kick the door open. Pa! You know why? Because she's watching me. And I go over to that closet. You know, I get ready. I look back at her, and she's like, <gasps> I take that closet door. Bam! And as soon as it flips open, right, I yell into that closet, you got a problem with my daughter? <laughs> now you got problems with me. And then I'll just kind of move to the side, right? I, used, I did this several times, and you know what? Her eyes are huge, and she's looking in the closet. You know why? Because there's no monster. But you know what she believes? Man, that monster's afraid of my daddy. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. She says, I have nothing. 
prophet doesn't discount her. He reminds her. He says, ah, what's in your house? And she says, well, I have a, a little bit of oil. Now, here's what's powerful. If you go back to 1 Kings, you'll find that the prophet has another oil encounter with a woman. And he tells her, right, he tells her she has bread, she has flour, though, and oil, and he tells her to bake food. And at the end of it, right, it, 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 he tells her just eat that until the, uh, the new time comes and the rain comes. That oil is not this oil. It's not the same. How do I know that? Because the word that's used in this story, the word used in this story is the word asuk. And asuk is the same oil that was used when the woman came to Jesus' feet and she took the alabaster box and she fell on her knees and she poured it over his feet. That was asuk. See, what the prophet knew was he wasn't talking about cooking oil in this situation. He said, look, you've got something in your house. And the woman had to admit, well, I don't really have anything except for a little bit of anointing. The reality is this morning that no matter how empty you are right now, you have anointing. Because the word of God says that the Holy Spirit, right, that this, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. No matter how empty I am, no matter how empty you are, that oil is still inside your house. It's in your house. It's in your house. And this, this woman's not an evil woman. She's not trying to be deceptive. This is what I believe. I believe what she is saying, yes, I'll admit it, but here's my issue. If I give that last bit of anointing up, I'll lose it. Some of us are holding on to that last bit of anointing. And it's not because you're evil. This is you're afraid to use it. You're afraid. You're afraid that, but if I, if I trust God one more time, we don't realize that that last bit of oil is the 1159 oil. That's the oil where God comes in and says, I waited because that is where I like to move. That's where I like to move. And he knows it's painful for us. You know how I know? Because he sent a prophet. <laughs> I've got nothing left but this little bit of anointing, and I'm going to hold on to it. And suddenly she sees the prophet. Sock. Sock. I'm at the end, and I've thrown in the towel, and I, I only have this little bit of anointing. And the prophet comes to her, and he says, yeah, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to use it. And so he comes to her and he says, right, go out, borrow vessels, go to all your neighbors and don't get just a few bottles, right? He's saying, you're going to have to go and you're really going to have to trust God. But notice he tells her she's the one that's going to have to go do it. So there's a lot of times when we, we will come and, and it's good. We come to our leaders and you should do that. 
and we, we come and we get help. I said earlier, go to each other, help each other, confess to one another. But at some point, if you're not willing to do the work, if you just want to be rescued, you're going to be stuck in that place. But God challenges her through the prophet and says, listen, are you willing to go out and make a fool of yourself? Think about this with me. This woman is now going all over town. Her husband just died. She's going all over town and asking people to empty out whatever vessels they have, and she wants to borrow them. And you can imagine, I don't know if they had a wheelbarrow or a wagon or what, but you have to imagine that her family's walking around town with all of these empty bottles. You know how probably embarrassing that was. This one, it also invites awkward questions. Hey, Sarah, what are you doing, right? Well, how much time you got, right? And she has to go do these embarrassing things. And he says, look, notice he says, make sure that those vessels are empty. He doesn't say borrow vessels. He says, make sure they're empty vessels. Because God doesn't pour into things that are already full of themselves. He won't do it. You know, your crossover, I love that. I love that because the night before that, he, he tells the, the man, he tells him, the prophet, he says, look, what you're going to do is go tell the people to consecrate themselves. Because tomorrow they're going to go over the Jordan River. But you know what consecrate means? It means to take you and set it to the side. So look, I'm going to do a miracle tomorrow, but I can't do it until you are out of the way. You get out of the way and watch what I'll do. Your job is just to trust me. Trust me. They set themselves to the side. He's saying, look, get all these vessels, but set everything to the side. Put it in its place and begin to pour the oil. And you know, she starts pouring. And I love it because it says she gets to a place where she tells her son, bring me another. And he says, there's none left. And at that moment, notice this. At the moment there was nothing empty, God stopped pouring the oil. God, God will never resist your emptiness, but he might pass you over in your fullness. When you're full of yourself, he just might pass you over. And what I'm trying to help you with is sometimes nothing is the best place to be. I learned that. I did a, a three years ago, not knowing COVID would happen, but in that January, I did a 40-day water-only fast. I had never done that before. God called me to it, and I won't talk about it too long, but I did that. And here, here's what happened, right? I, I owned a bodybuilding company. I'm on bottles. I'm, you know, my physique is on bottles and commercials, and I was doing all that. And I, I didn't realize how much of my, my, uh, my ego, not necessarily in a, in a prideful way, but just I didn't realize how much I was attached to what I looked like, right? I was, I was called the logo, right? Oh, there's the logo. Everything was kind of attached to that persona. And when God called me to do that fast, I'm going to tell you, it took, me, it took me 32 years to get to that weight I was at, to look like that. 32 years of blood, sweat, tears, money. And God comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to take all of that away from you in 40 days. What do you think? And he did. I, I started with a personal trainer 32 years ago at 164, 65 pounds. 
when I started the fast, I had I had already kind of shredded down for some shows, but I had went from 270 to about 240. And at the end of that 40, first 40-day 40 fast, I got on the scale and I started crying with joy. And I called my wife in and I said, this is crazy. I weigh exactly the same. I was 160, I was actually 164, one pound less, 32 years gone, just ripped off of me like an onion. God sat me in a chair and he just peeled me and peeled me and peeled me. And at the end, I'm sitting there and I'm nothing. In my mind, there's this fear, but now I'm nobody. I'm nobody and I'm nothing. And yet there was this joy because all the weight of that was gone. And in that emptiness, I said to the Lord, why would you do this to me? Look at me, I'm nothing. And God said, man, I didn't, I didn't do this to destroy you. I did this so I could build you back up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now make you the man that you were always meant to be. And it's going to be through nothing. You see, we don't like, nothing is, nothing is uncomfortable. Amen. Nothing is uncomfortable. I was listening to a rabbi, and here's, uh, I'll start to try to find a closing soon. Are you guys good? I listened to this rabbi, and I loved what he was talking about. And he said, you know, we're told in creation how we're created. And so then if we're told how we're created, it must be important. So if we go back to Genesis and we look at Adam, there was nothing. And then God created dirt and then created Adam. So essentially, though, this morning we could say that Adam was made out of nothing. It came from, we came from nothing. But you know, a woman, Eve, she wasn't made from nothing. She was made out of a living being. And so men and women, we have a created condition. And that created condition still follows you. And what is that created condition? Somewhere in the psyche of man, and I've learned this is true with working with men, somewhere in the psyche of man, we know that we started out as nothing. And therefore, that's the scariest thing to me to become. This is why men get raised trucks. This is why men go to war, because women are watching, right? We want to be something. This is why men usually are trying to accumulate. Men are always trying to build something. Men are afraid to be nothing. We, we want to have something. We want to be something. We, we want to be needed. I, whatever it is, I don't want to be annihilated. So therefore, if my wife tells me I'm nothing, I'm probably going to believe her. If you tell your husband he's nothing, women, he's going to start to believe you. Because in his mind, he's going to say, you know what? I always thought I was nothing. I knew something was there, but, but now you're confirming it, and now I'm really messed up in my head. But if you notice, so if you tell a woman she's nothing, she doesn't have that same reaction. Because she knows she's never been nothing. You, you treat a woman like she's nothing, and she's mad. She's like, hello, right? <laughs> Think about it. Do you not see me standing here, right? <laughs> I've never been nothing. I'm not going to be nothing. You better look at me, right? I'm here. 
I'm Eve. I'm not Adam. You better recognize, right? I'm from something. I'm a living being. So for a woman, she's not afraid of being zero because she's never been a zero. And I'm not talking about looks, but, but for what, because I've said this before and people start laughing. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. So I'm prefacing it. <laughs> Women want to be, you have a scale. Your thoughts are more of one to ten. Not about looks, but one to ten in value. You're not worried about being nothing, but you definitely don't want to be a one in the things that you do. You want to be something. So let me give you an example. If my wife, right, I've done some things around the house and fixed some things up. I'm learning. I'm Googling. I'm YouTubing, right? I've fixed all kinds of things, washer, dryer. I've fixed some stuff. It's pretty cool. And, you know, if my wife comes to me and she says something, let's go silly with it. She comes to me and says, you know what, baby? I saw you change the light bulb. I didn't know you knew how to change a light bulb. I'm going to go, it's a light bulb. Everybody can change a light bulb. But then when I'm driving to work, I'm changing light bulbs, right? <laughs> That's right, girl. I'll change your light bulb, right? Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. You, men will live off of one compliment for 25 years. Remember that one time 25 years ago when I wore this shirt to that restaurant, babe, and that waiter said I looked nice? Your wife was like, no, that was 25 years ago, right? That she'll probably say, you weren't wearing that shirt. You weren't wearing a green one. I know, because I was mad at you, and we were arguing. <laughs> but if I go out to my wife, and we see the, the difference, if I go out to my wife in the morning, and she's making eggs, and I say, wow, babe, I didn't know you knew how to make eggs. <laughs> she's not complimented. She thinks I'm an idiot. And then the next morning, she won't make me eggs to prove a point. And then I'm like, why are you mad? He's like, if you don't know, I ain't going to tell you. Am I right? These are, these are created conditions. You know, you use this in marriage counseling because it works. And you start to find out we have these issues. And so if we come and bring that in our pocket back to this sermon, one of the reasons why we don't want to say we're in that place as men is because we don't want anybody to think that we're reaching zero. And for a woman, she, she doesn't, here's a woman's biggest thing, and it's interesting, is a woman doesn't want to disappear back into the identity of someone else. In ministry, they don't, you don't want to disappear into just being a part of the church. You don't, you don't want to disappear back into your husband's identity. There's something in a woman that says, I'm valued and I want to be seen. I've never been a zero. Stop treating me like I'm zero. We come back here and we say, well, no wonder why she's, she's wrestling with nothing because we all wrestle with nothing. And in that fast, in the end, when I was sitting in that chair, I was thinking, man, I'm nothing, but it's really not the worst place to be. And I felt that oil begin to pour. And I realized that my emptiness could become my family's fullness. And my emptiness became my church's fullness and my disciples' fullness. And I was running into people. And because I was so empty, God could do nothing but want to pour into me. And so, man, I'm walking around. I'm just pouring into people. It's just it's sprinkling out of me, man. I'm like just oil all over the place. You know why? Because I was so empty. 
And God was able to heal me and restore me and rebuild me. And God's been, been using that. And that's what God wants to do this morning. Now notice this. It says, I want to talk about this real quick and we'll end is, he tells her when to go in and do the oil, he says, go in. And he says, shut the door. You know, a lot of times we allow, we, me and Pastor Art were talking about distraction yesterday. This world is a very distracting place. I would say Vegas is very distracting, right? Everywhere you go, billboards and signs and people handing you flyers and every, all this chaos. It, Vegas is like the back of this painting or this cross stitch. It's, it's a bunch of chaos and strings. And Here we are, we're trying to look like Christ, but we're walking through all of that mess. And he tells her what? He says, when you go in, shut the door. Don't let your neighbors peek in. Right? I'm talking about when, you, when you're in that place of healing. He says, look, shut the door to all the distractions. Turn off Instagram. Turn off comparison. Call your leaders, your people you trust, and and have them come in and shut the door with you and begin to pray and begin to pour back into your life. Here's what I want to end with this morning. They showed that chaos of that cross stitch. But this was done by a professional cross stitcher. And so even though it doesn't look exactly the same, it's not quite as chaotic as most. But it's because this person knows how to cross-stitch. Look at the difference. Why I save that to the end is to say this. You're never going to be perfect. Not ever, but you don't have to look like that. And you don't have to live like that. You can begin to have the outside and the inside, those secret places, begin to align with each other. And what's on the inside of your house and what you show people will start to look the same. And there's a peace and a healing and a restoration that will come to you through that. And you don't have to, to throw in the towel. But you know the towel is a sign of surrender. So you could bow your heads with me this morning.